Welcome, everybody, to the Knicks Wall podcast. We're part of the Blue Wire podcast family. Head over to, uh, to harrys.com slash Blue Wire. We got a little something special for you over there. But in the meantime, I am Anthony Corbo. You can follow me on Twitter at CorboAnthony. Making my return after Brian and Kyle held it down over here for a couple of weeks. Uh, Brian Giberman is joining me as he does every week at Brian Giberman on Twitter. And also, until Kyle Maggio gets here a little later in the show, we have from 8.9 seconds, we have from uh, Rookie Wire on USA Today from Clutch Points app, we have Ben Pfeiffer. What's going on, man? Things are things are going? going pretty good. We are just wrapping up a uh, successful uh, summer league over here. And yeah, we brought you on to talk about some of our... Uh, some of the interesting Knicks who came out of that, how they played, some second-year players, some rookies, some guys not even officially on the team. So, um, you uh, you wrote a piece that was largely about R.J. Barrett and how he's been looking in summer league that came out uh, a couple of days ago. Um, I think we should probably start with him. So, R.J. had a bit of a struggle to get summer league going. He said that it was just you know he hadn't played a game in several months, and then by the end of it. You know, he was posting triple, near uh, double doubles, nearly triple doubles. Um, but just kind of at the end of it all, wh- where do you stand on R.J. Barrett? What's he look like to you right now? All right. So, yeah, that first game from R.J. Barrett was really, really rough. I mean, it w- wasn't a full game, of course, because of the earthquake. But it was, it was definitely that one was of the dark, poor yeah. R.J. Barrett games. That was something. It was definitely one of the poor R.J. games I had seen out of the whole sample. His his feel issues were just popping up like crazy. He was driving into people, taking bad shots, doing all that. And his his defense wasn't particularly good either. And overall it was it was rough for him. It was rough in the stat sheet. He wasn't efficient. And although those problems did persist throughout the rest of Summer League, and we'll get to that, he definitely did improve throughout the Summer League at Almost everything, I say almost because his defense was pretty bad throughout Summer League, and we'll get to that. But I want I want to talk about his passing because that is probably the most important thing for RJ at this point because one of, if not the main knocks coming in with RJ is his feel for the game because RJ thinks he's Kobe, and that is good in ways. It makes it, He's a notoriously hard worker. He's really competitive, but it also goes bad because, well, RJ's not Kobe, and RJ is not a primary initiator with lots of flaws that primary initiators don't have. And we see when he when he drives into traffic and throws up bricks and things like that, he thinks he's better than he is. But the thing is, RJ Barrett can pass the ball. RJ Barrett is a good passer, and I think we saw a lot of that throughout Summer League. A lot of his passing really showed up, especially in the later games. And it's not a question of if he can, it's a question of if he will with RJ, because RJ doesn't like to pass, but 
when he decides to go into facilitator mode, he can really pass. And that Wizards game, especially towards the end, was really, really good. He had some nice skip passes in that game. He does some pretty good stuff out of pick and rolls. And when the action is kind of like a set play for him, he's definitely a lot better as a passer. Like when he's in a pick and roll, he can hit Mitch on a lob. He can spray, skip passes to shooters. He did that quite a lot better than he did at college, I thought, especially in that Wizards game. He can do that. And he can do simple driving kicks when he's in this passing mode. And when he's in this passing mode, he looks like a really, really valuable potential secondary creator because there's lots of good with RJ and with RJ's scoring game. And we'll get to that. We'll get to the problems first. RJ's handle is really rough. And there were a lot of times where he'd lose the ball. He wouldn't be able to separate with his handle. He, he dribbles pretty high too. I can't remember which game it was, but there was a game where he was dribbling in transition and the ball came up to his shoulder and the defender easily poked it out from behind him. But then his, his slashing overall has the potential to be really, really good. He's, RJ is huge. He's 6'7", and jacked, and he's really, really strong. And he needs to get better at using his strength. RJ loves to go, as I'm sure you've seen too many times already, he loves to just go chest to chest and throw up shots at basically nothing. But when, when he uses his strength, his whole body, it's beautiful. Against the Wizards, he had a drive that I think was the best drive I've ever seen from RJ throughout college, FIBA, high school, whatever. He, it was just a simple right-to-left crossover. He started at the top of the key, right-to-left crossover, crossover. He got low. He got the defender on his hip and used his strong legs and core to kind of shield him off. And then he got to the lane and scored. And that's what he needs to be doing, not going through guys, using his leverage, using his strength. And if he can really improve that, and RJ can be a great slasher. And because of his handle, I'm worried about him this year that the Knicks are going to try him a lot as their offensive engine like they did in Summer League. That's not RJ. RJ doesn't have the handle. He doesn't have the pull-up shooting, at least yet. The hope is he will to do that. But as an off-ball guy, an off-ball creator, I think RJ can be really, really good. Unfortunately, the Knicks don't really have a lot of guys with on-ball scoring gravity to take the most of to take away defensive attention. But if they can do that, get, getting RJ moving off of curl screens. In the first game, he had a really nice he had a really nice and one off of a curl screen early. And I'm like, wow, that's his strength. That's his his power once he gets ahead of steam going downhill off the ball. So off the ball he can get ahead of steam. He can attack closeouts, attack advantage situations, scrambling defenses. That's where his paint his strength, sorry, his strength can come into handy on drives. The passing windows for him are easier. And he seems like I mentioned this earlier, he's a lot better passing in these in these set actions. One action, I think the Knicks ran for him multiple times in Summer League, and I bet they will in the season is they'll have him come off a curl screen and he's pretty good at hitting the roll hitting the roll man on a lob or a bounce pass, something like that. So there was definitely a lot of good from RJ on offense, especially as the as the summer league progressed and reasons to be optimistic about him. It's I'm telling you, it's going to be rough early because he's going to have lots of growing pains with figuring out that he can't out athletic everyone and he can't run through it. And he's going to have to learn that the hard way if he wants to really improve as a player. And 
talked about offense. We'll get the defense. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. RJ's defense, it's it's not good, and it wasn't good in Summer League. He had some moments being physical on the perimeter and on the interior, and that's really where his defense is best as um with his strength. But it's it, off the ball. It's so bad. He's step slows. He's step slow guarding screens. He is such a weird on-ball screen defender. He does this thing where he hops in front of the screen instead of going around it, instead of sliding through it, and he gets beat that way. He's late on. He's late on rotations. He never contests forcefully at the rim, which is something you'd think he'd be able to do pretty well because he's really strong and he jumps pretty high. He's a good athlete, but. That, that team defense really, really needs to improve. But there's definitely hope for him to be a, a really switchable, strong, versatile defender with his length and strength. And I think if the Knicks really – this is an idea with my friend Spencer Perlman, Knicks fan and just very smart person brings up that the Knicks should switch everything because that only would mask his team defense deficiencies and really allow his strength and his his quickness and his athleticism to show up on defense. And – Overall, I would say relative to consensus expectations, it was probably a bit disappointing for fans overall expecting some strong creator and overall just eye-popping player. Relative to my expectations, I had him seventh on my final board. Pretty spot on what he did, especially considering what he did at the end. That was really impressive. And if the Knicks figure out how to use him right, have him going off ball, try and mask his defensive weaknesses. I think they have a potential really good secondary creator in RJ. All right, the guy the Knicks took in the second round was Ignas uh, Brostakis out of Michigan. What were your takeaways with him during Summer League? All right, so Iggy Brostakis was one of the most pleasant surprises for me during Summer League. I've always been a big fan of his. I had him 28th on my board, which is way higher than consensus who – a lot of the mainstream consensus didn't see him as a as a draft pick, which is kind of crazy to me. And as we saw in Summer League, that was crazy. He, he's really, really good. And the fact that they got him late second is crazy good. But one of the reasons I wasn't even higher on him is because his passing in college really wasn't great. He had a 0.7 assist to turnover ratio, less than 10 assist percent, 6 assist percentage, which the list of uh, guys drafted with those with those. Uh, statistics along with his steals and blocks are 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 not great overall but he came out and his passing was really really good in summer league and it was better than i've ever seen it which is kind of strange because with michigan prospects we're usually talking about talk talk about them getting the beeline boost because such an excellent coach that system is great for turning making the most out of talent but maybe that system neutered his passing a little bit because his passing was absolutely fantastic he was really good on driving kicks finding other guys in multiple games i know he did it in the suns game he did it in the wizards game he would drive and pick up his dribble and then he would wait for a cutter and throw out a really nice bounce pass to them he did that a couple times his overall willingness to pass while there were still moments where he would uh, take pretty bad shots, and even though most of them went in, he was just stupid efficient in summer league. Those moments were still there where you wish he would have passed and wouldn't have shot it, even if it did go in. His passing was so much improved, and I really hope this wasn't a fluke, because if it's not a fluke, and he can really pass at least at an average-ish level, he's a real rotation piece, and I could genuinely see him being a contributor, a positive contributor on the Knicks 
as early as beginning of the season. You probably spend some time in Westchester, I would imagine, but I would bet if I had to that there's a point where the Knicks realize, okay, this guy is way too good to be sitting in the G League, and we need to bring him up right now. So there's offense. Even though he's not the most athletic guy in the world, he's really strong, and strength is one of the things I value most in my evaluations and something I feel is really undervalued. Pretty much all stars and all a lot of really good players, or the majority of them, are are really strong for their position, and they they're not just physically strong; they're functionally strong, and that's what Igmas Brzezdekis is. More than being totally jacked, his dad was an MMA fighter. I I think he was he's really great at using his strength, especially on offense, to get to his spots without without um, great quickness or an elite handle. He's really great at uh, using his shoulders and using his hips and sort of backing guys down into the lane and finishing over them with touch, finishing through through contact, through contact, and getting around them because he's not going to get around a ton of guys with this first step. And in summer league, Ignace Prasdakis shot the hell out of the ball. He he shot really really well, and I think. He, I wasn't this confident in his shooting, and it's always it's always important to take summer league shooting samples with a grain of salt because, well, it's it's five, six, seven, four games that could easily be just a prolonged hot or cold streak. But I do think the shooting is somewhat real with Brustick, is he's not going to shoot fifty percent from three like he did in the summer league. But some of the pull up flashes were nice. He had the pull up three he hit to tie the game against the Suns. That was really good. Um, I don't think he's going to do pull up threes with any real consistency, but it's just nice to see in shot diversity, shot versatility is always nice in projecting future shooting. He's just really versatile. He can score in a lot of ways in the mid-range. You saw he, he drives a lot. He shoots the ball well. He passes. Even offensively, he's fantastic. Defensively, he was great too. Like I said, that strength really helps him bump his defenders, guard guard up positions, even though he's not super long and he's only 6'5". He can guard up a little because he is really, really strong. And... He did lose his man a couple times, but his off-ball defense was really, really good. His positioning was nice. I don't think he got a lot of steals or blocks. I don't have a number on hands right now, but his his positioning was nice. He made good rotations. The Knicks in Summer League had a lot of mess-ups in terms of pick-and-roll communication, transition transition defense, and um, Brasnikas looked mostly immune to that, even though he had his fair share of mess-ups there. But overall, it was just a fantastic defensive performance as well. And I'm pulling up his block numbers if I can find it. Uh, I Whatever, I can't find it. I mean, his reaction time just in general just kind of really surprised me. Like like on offense and defense, just and the Knicks ended up, like you were saying, had a lot of broken plays and a lot of uh, you know times where the players didn't know where they necessarily wanted to go. And he just seemed like he was able to adapt to the situation pretty quickly and i think that's what led to him getting to that 30 point game you know that he pulled off in yep. the second or, or yeah, in the third Suns game, game. his been. stealing block numbers weren't actually great and neither was his, his assisted turnover ratio and assists weren't impressive just like they were at michigan but i'm i'm confident in my eye test to know that he it was better and i think anybody who watched him extensively at michigan would agree that it was so much better in summer league and really really confident in expiring for Every team needs wings, and I, mean, I know the Knicks have plenty of fours and guys who can play there. He can add some four, too, but he's great. Brasdakis is great. 
I want to know a little bit about Kevin Knox here. Uh, you, you mentioned RJ with it, you know, his passing game being a little underrated before. And I thought one of the person he had really good looks to uh, for setting up was Knox. And I think that allowed Knox to, you know, set up and get that, you know, high arching stroke that he has off, you know, a lot more efficiently. So Kevin Knox is coming off of kind of a down season in New York, you know, up, up and down. I feel like the fans kind of lost faith in him a little bit towards the end. He didn't quite have the summer league that he had last year, but Kevin Knox gave you what takeaways? Yeah, so I'll just start with what you said, with what you're saying. RJ, did RJ? I, I thought it was RJ and Knox. Both did pretty good jobs finding each other, mismatches. One of the big things for Kevin is Kevin Knox is being more, more aggressive and and more kind of assertive and focused in what he's doing. Because last season, it's like, oh, Kevin Knox is going to drive. Who knows? It's, it's probably not going to go in. He, he just kind of aimlessly drives into nothing because he's not super quick and his handle isn't great. So he's not going to separate against a lot of guys. So he would really get he would get stuck pretty often in his rookie season. And that was definitely there in Summer League. It was there probably a little more than I would have hoped for a second-year guy like him. But it was better i'd say which is good like you said he did a good job finding rj rj did a good job finding him and attacking mismatches he there, there were times when he was really aggressive he'd go at smaller guys get fouled he got fouled a lot in summer league which was really impressive i don't have the numbers in front of me but i know he got to the line quite a bit and kept nine free throws per game he had yeah, nine free yeah, throws okay. per game that's what i thought that's that is very very good and kevin knox definitely does that which is I'm not I'm not sure how well it's going to translate because his separation issues and his uh, quickness issues are still real, and he's going to need to become a really good shooter to overcome those. And his shooting was really good, and yeah, he shot quite frankly horrible in his rookie season. It was it was really bad, but I I still think he's going to shoot. I'm still pretty low on Knox overall, but I do think he's going to shoot better than he shot in his rookie season. And and if he can get to really really good shooting. He can play off his shooting gravity, attacking closeouts, and things like that. And his passing in summer league, it wasn't great. He definitely had some really, really nice flashes, which is always good to see. He had one on the money skip pass to the left corner out of pick and roll, where I was just like, wow. I think that's the best pass I've ever seen Kevin Knox make. I didn't watch the Knicks extensively last year, but I don't think there was a better pass than that, at least in summer league, that for sure wasn't where he skipped to the weak corner and having showing that he has that vision is really important. Even if he doesn't do it consistently now or doesn't for another year or two, the fact that he has it is important and it's going to take time with Kevin Knox. And I'm still not convinced in him after this summer league, the defense was, it was okay. There were some moments using his size to, to bother guys. And there were some decent plays off the ball, but it was like with the rest of the Knicks, there were so many, miscommunications and mess ups and I feel like Knox at the forefront of a lot of that his footwork is pretty bad working around screens on closeouts and he's still a pretty raw defender overall his instincts aren't horrible but without great athleticism that he doesn't have he's going to need to get better technically and improve his awareness and things like that to be a real plus or neutral defender because he's not really he's, he's strong but he's not super strong enough to guard a lot of fours true fours He's not quick enough to guard threes, but so it's going to be still a long way to go more improving with Kevin Knox, but it was, it was all right. Summer league was definitely not bad. It was great. I mean, after last year, I think we, a lot of us expected Kevin Knox to perform well in summer league as second year players are supposed to do well in summer league. And 
there was definitely good stuff. The passing and aggression for me were the most two, were the two most important takeaways in hoping he can not be the worst player in the league next year, which is a pretty low bar. I feel pretty confident saying he won't be the worst player in the league next year or one of the five worst players in the league next year. He's definitely got ways to go, but I think there's definitely a chance that he at least can make a near neutral or almost positive contribution. Probably not positive. That's probably going a little far, but Summer League was a good start for him, and he needs to keep working on his overall game to to uh, fulfill his draft ex- expectations. Right. Someone who's already uh, outlived his draft expectations was Mitchell Robinson. We saw him perform at a positive level in the NBA, in the NBA already as a rookie, as a second-round pick. Uh, mostly just the same from him, maybe not as locked in, would you say, in Summer League as he was for parts of last season? Yep, uh, that's basically it. I mean, it was like... There was it was really dumb that the Knicks had Mitchell Robinson play in summer league. Just he's it was like the classic. He's way too good for summer league, and it was pretty obvious. Even though he wasn't perfect and he had his issues, which we'll get to, he was really really good overall. And he, it's clear he's on a different level athletically, especially than the rest of his summer league competition. As he as he is for a lot of the NBA guys he faces, he is a total and other freak athletically. And last year, I mean, in my opinion, last year, he was the best player on the Knicks. And I think he's the best player on the Knicks going into the season as well with all their additions still. Mitchell Robinson, despite his flaws, is that good. And yeah, we'll start with I the a- with athleticism. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's just freaky. He, he's huge. He's long. He's so mobile on the perimeter. He's really great dropping back. He's great changing directions for his size. He runs like a deer. He can reach lob passes that... So few players can just finish with that touch. And even with all of his technical issues and awareness issues, which we'll get to, I keep saying that, I don't know why, um, his athleticism is really, really insane. And it gives him a really high floor for being an elite defensive player of the year level defensive center, which I'm confident in him reaching because he's just that good of an athlete. We'll stay on the positives. I think... One thing that doesn't get talked about enough with Mitch is his touch around the rim is really good. Um, he obviously dunks a lot, and he dunked a lot in summer league because, frankly, summer league competition just can't st- can't match him athletically for the most part. But finishing like non dunks at like weird angles and tight and tight spaces and over guys, he's really good there too. So I think that 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 just adds more value to him as a rim runner and a vertical spacer in the NBA. He doesn't really give you much else on offense, but you you don't really ask for that. Defense. We'll get. We'll start with the bad because there was some definitely some bad. Like you said, he wasn't as locked in as he normally is. His awareness was kind of kind of low. His motor wasn't rev, wasn't revving super high. And although he does, he doesn't have the greatest IQ or feel in defense. It's it's good enough, and it's better than it was in summer league. There was probably some realization for him. Like I'm I'm way too good for this. I don't need to be exerting myself 100. percent And I think although. There were some great plays from him. I think there was a lot of that. Getting into the more nitty-gritty stuff, his his technique on defense is pretty raw still. His positioning on pick and rolls is often pretty raw. There was a couple times in the Suns game where he needed to get get over more to the left or right to cut off the drive, and he was late, and he either missed the block or goaltended. And that really shouldn't be happening with someone as quick of a jump as Mitch. He gets to the ground so fast, and he's so long. 
he should be able to get to everything. And if he can just improve his positioning and improve his reaction time to become a more instinctive defender, which is difficult to do but possible, then he could be like like a goat level rim protector. He's he's that freakish athletic. And we saw that we saw we always see flashes of that where he comes from the weak side, makes crazy blocks, and. He, he, even in the post of the primary rim protector, his post defense technically isn't good. He he leans too far on his man, making him vulnerable to spins and things like that. And he still fouls a ton. He fouled a lot in summer league, but I don't think it's too big of an issue because young defenders foul, and those things are corrected with age historically. So unless Mitch is fouling like this in his third or fourth season, I don't think there's any reason to really be worried about his fouls, at least in my opinion. And sorry. I digress. Back to his post defense. He's just a rare athlete who, even though he's not, he's not super functionally strong yet. He could get more core strength, and he's not technically good. He can he can get backed out and still quickly leap and swat a hook shot just because he's bigger and longer and jumps higher than everybody else. And his pick and roll defense, his hands and the angles he takes are really weird and they're not good and in drop coverage is especially frustrating with Mitch because with his his length his vertical explosion his ability to change directions and trail backwards he should be a goat level drop defender in drop coverage but he's he gets caught in no man's land way way too much he he kind of loafs between the ball handler and the roll man and he'll often give up lobs by committing too late or he won't commit at all and he'll give up a layup. He really needs to get in the film room and watch a lot of Draymond Green, who is one of the masters of drop coverage with his Jedi mind tricks. He'll often stun at the ball handler, then back up to concede a lot to guard a lob or concede a lower percentage floater as opposed to lob. And that's what Mitchell Robinson can do that times a hundred because he's a freak. I'll say it again. And if he learns to stun at ball handlers, to read to read eyes, to force low, lower percentage floaters, and to just time his movements better in drop coverage and pick and roll coverage, he can just be an all-around monster. Because we already know how well Mitch Robinson switches onto the perimeter, his quick feet, his hip mobility for his size. This is kind of a, what we, a little idiosyncratic point, but I think Mitchell Robinson, when he retires, I think... Uh, I doubt there's anywhere to bet on this, but if there was, I'd feel pretty good betting on him being the, assuming he plays long career, being the all-time leader in three-pointers blocked, because he just blocks so many of those with his, with his wingspan and his ability to stick with defenders on the perimeter, and people shoot over him, and we saw Zion got blocked by, got, got his three blocked by Mitchell Robinson. That was, I guess, kind of his welcome to the NBA moment right there, and yeah, Mr. Robinson has just so much upside as a defender, and he has ways to go technically and in terms of awareness, but I think he's going to be fine there, and I'm really excited to see how he improves in his second year, if he can add anything to his offensive game maybe, which I doubt, but that's gonna, I'm really excited to see where Mitch goes and how Mitch plays this season, and he's, he's one of the few redeeming factors on the Knicks, and he's just he's, all, he's awesome. I love Mitch Robinson. All right, so last guy before we get you out of here, Ben. Uh, not technically on the Knicks, but someone who kind of came out of nowhere and surprised everyone is uh, Kenny Wooten. He had a really, really strong showing. He was kind of a menace, uh, you know, menace around the rim, just like another big, you know, that we can develop in a lot of the same veins as Mitchell Robinson. I'm just, I'm curious as to what you, what you make of him. If you think the Knicks have any kind of way that they're going to be able to hang on to this guy or. Uh, where where do you stand on him? Because he's he's just kind of a complete surprise to me. 
Yeah, Kenny Wooten's awesome. I've been a relatively big fan coming into this coming into the draft. I had him ranked, which is which a lot of people didn't. I mean, he there's a lot of reasons to be low on Kenny Wooten. I mean, he's six eight and he's a center and he does nothing on offense, which um, is a problem, definitely a problem. And but he's he's a bundle of nuclear energy. He's a ridiculous, ridiculous athlete. He's like a volleyball player. Shout out to Polish Ball on Twitter for that one. He jumps like crazy. He jumps out of the gym. He jumps quick. He jumps high. He's always flying around the court, giving 100% effort, looking to uh, rack up blocks, rack up contests. And he's really, really dominant around the rim for a 6'8 guy because he, ju- he just jumps higher than you and he will block the crap out of your shot. With, with those reaction times, he's such a rare athlete that even despite his, his size limitations, He's definitely worth a two-way. I know the Knicks used their first two-way on Chris Wilkes, and they still have a two-way spot open. I would definitely advise using that spot on Kenny Wooten if if they don't want to look outside the organization. He's he's just a guy you want to develop in your G League system to have as kind of a third or fourth big off the bench. Just 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 an energy guy. A guy who's going to come in. He's going to impact the game on both on defense. He's going to give effort, maybe catch some lobs, get some offensive rebounds on offense, just take two or three shots. None of him he created himself, but that's that's perfectly okay. And Kenny Wooten, I think, showed he can be an NBA player, if just a bench player. But still, if you can get one of those undrafted, then you're doing things right. So Kenny Wooten showed a lot of good things in summer league, and he should be the Knicks' second two-way. All right, well... Ben, I can't thank you enough for coming on with us and uh, giving us the lowdown, kind of an outsider perspective on all these guys. I think the problem with Knicks fans is we tend to overrate our own players a little bit from time to time. So uh, I think every fan base does yeah. that. So, well, uh, no one's immune to that that curse. You can follow Ben at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore with the P in there uh, at. Eight points nine seconds. At Clutch Points app at Rookie Wire. Follow all of them. Uh, Ben, thanks a lot for coming on again. Thank you so much for having me. It was a good time. Thanks. Take care. All right, guys, we're about to get back into the show, but real quick, we have an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, the rich lathering shave gel, and the travel blade cover. You get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. So Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. And we are back uh, joining us now on the podcast. And when I say joining us, I mean really joining us because he is sitting right next to me in beautiful Chicago, Illinois. I have Kyle Maggio 
Uh, also with him, a puppy. Say hello, Kyle. What's going on, everybody? That uh, that moment where it took for him to get to the microphone is due to the fact that we are um, completely... We are sharing one microphone here. We are sitting here at my desk. Um, it, it is a great time. Everybody, we're doing great. But the Knicks... Uh, so the Knicks made a signing, made a signing official while we were, uh, you know, in the since the last time we spoke to you, Marcus Morris joins the team on a one-year, fifteen million dollar contract. Um, we don't want to go too crazy here or anything, but you know, people are kind of going nuts with it being another power forward signing. I think many of us think that he's going to play a little bit more at the three than anything. Um. Uh, Brian, what do you what do you think the Morris signing really adds to this team? Another player that can hit threes, thirty six percent from behind the arc for his career, and brings it on defense. He at least I, look. I'm not going to speak to. I haven't watched him play on a regular basis in a very long time, but he has the reputation of being a solid defender. Uh, does he take a couple too many? mid-range jump shots yes that happens because he doesn't really have a great off the dribble game so he drabbed steps and he shoots jumpers but he takes a good amount of threes also so i think on the whole he brings uh he's some very good insurance to if kevin knox is terrible again yeah uh, i mostly agree just on the sense that he's a quality player i think being able to mix up him playing the three and the four is pretty big. And I think um, he's probably the biggest signing besides Randall. I don't think that's an exaggeration though. I mean, he jumps right into the top three of Nick's talent pretty much from the get. Yeah. I, I mean, I have just going off the signings this summer. It's, it's Randall's pretty clearly the best signing that they made. And then after that, it was what Portis. I mean, Oh, I thought Portis well, was the worst signing a, that they a decent made basketball player. I, I'm not talking about, monetary value i mean they paid a lot too much for him even though it's a one-year deal no i i think uh, portis's defense and uh, there's a lot of i'm not that i didn't like that signing at all portis was my least favorite in terms of basketball I mean, also again I, I i i'm still of the opinion that i can't really be too mad at any of these contracts just because of how they're designed like portis is a lot of money but i think he might also be one of the most tradable pieces but we spent enough time talking about Bobby Portis and all that on the pod so far. Um, when it comes to Marcus Morris, though, do you like? I, I'm just the only concern I have with him is the is that he's probably going to want starters minutes. He played a big role on the on you know the Boston Celtics. Um, I'm just kind of curious as to will he like how many minutes he's going to take from Knox is. You know, if RJ proves that he needs to play more three than he needs to play two, what happens there? I, I'm just a little, and because he's on a one year deal, it's not like he can super easily be traded. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm just a little interested in what ends up happening with with his role down the line and how he'll impact the rest of the roster. But it, it's it's just too early to see. And these rotations, I think Fizdale is going to have his work cut out for him with it. But you know, it, there is a way I think to make the majority of these players work and still get most guys at least 15 minutes a night. I think that one year deal actually, when it comes down to it, he's the one who a contender would probably have the most interest in. 
and will it bring back a first round pick? No, I, I don't know about that. But if there's a team that thinks they're a, a big wing and they want someone who, look, you're not going to be able to shut down the Kawhi Leonard's and the LeBron James's of the league. But if you feel like you need a bigger forward who can stick with those guys and kind of like just make their lives more difficult, he's someone who fits that mold. And if the young players produce at a level that can cut into his minutes as the trade deadline approaches, he he might be one of their best trade assets just in terms of someone wanting someone a contender wanting someone, or if you need a bigger contract to use as a base to add on some of the rookie deals in a bigger trade, that's someone who can also be used in in that yeah, way. I agree. My main big thing with what they did with the signings this year was what we talked about on the preview pod, which was they could be used as um, tradable assets. And I still feel that way. And especially Marcus Morris is somebody who especially fits that mold. And I, the reason I brought up Portis too is because I feel he has that same kind of two-way value where he's going to be, he's a stretch four and five, right? So he's bringing outside shooting. That's his, that's his like one big strength. So for a contending team, like he's another expiring decent player who can shoot. Like that's kind of why I have them lumped up there. They can kind of play to me. Portis is decent enough as a basketball player too, despite the way too much money the Knicks threw him. But, um, you know, Teams always need shooting, especially good teams and contending teams. So I think being able to sell one of Portis or um, Morris going into the trade deadline is a big advantage that they have. I don't know that I trust them, per se, to execute a smart and worthwhile trade, but I think that's what they're planning for. I think that's pretty clearly part of the strategy, and I I like it. These are good players to have either way, even if you're keeping them. So I'm I'm really happy with Morris. That's a quality signing. So beyond... uh... You know, beyond Marcus Morris, the only other real piece of news that came out recently is uh, Reggie Bullock had surgery today. Woj was reporting. Uh, don't need to go too deep into that, but uh, it was on a slip disc, I believe it was, something of that nature. Um, no real word on if that's going to keep him out through the start of training camp or not, but I'd imagine something like that will. Um, other here now. All right, let's let's just transition this right over because we we have some things that have kind of been burning up in the back of all of our heads here, and it, it has to do with this whole culture reset the Knicks are doing right now. A uh, couple of bizarre things on their end. I, I think the most pressing one, the one we got to start with, is this. I I feel like this was written by James Dolan himself, like this bizarre statement issued by Knicks PR from the Madison Square Garden company uh, on the New York Daily News talking about, and it's really, it's all about the whole Inglewood, you know, Clippers arena kind of thing uh, with MSG. And there is an interest in the form out there and how they own that. And it, it just, it, you know, just the, the, te- the language in it, just the, uh, you know, the parlance they're using throughout it, the, you know, they're using things like the story's most absurd claim. They're like dropping quotes in there. They're just seem like it's a lot of backpedaling, defending themselves and all, all of which it's just something that didn't seem like it needed to be that it did, didn't need to be coming from the team. This really doesn't have a lot to do with the Knicks other than the fact that it's a, it's the team's owner and it's also being issued through the freaking Knicks PR account. This whole, it just, the whole thing seems bizarre to me. 
it's not a good look for them. It it really looks to me like James Dolan take it, you know, superseding whatever the Knicks are trying to build in their front office and just taking the reins and using his uh essentially his ownership to you know play a card in some debate that we have no business being a part of. And uh if I may, and this is gonna anger most of our listeners like it angered lots of folks on Twitter. Um and if you're one of them then you know I always love a decent debate. I'm never trying to embarrass anybody, make anybody feel stupid, but um you guys got to just open your eyes sometimes. You really do. Like, for example, I tweeted today, like, oh, please tell me more about this this newfound culture. I'd love to hear more. I'm dying to hear it. And then everyone kind of came back to me, well, what does this have to do with the Knicks? Well, it was tweeted from the Knicks PR account, bizarrely, for no reason. Like, that alone makes it about the Knicks, and that makes it about basketball, because the Knicks are a basketball team. Like, that's that's how it works. You can ignore that if you want. That is objective truth. There's no reason he could have dropped this from the MSG account. Would have done just fine. No one would have batted an eye. It would have just been his little vendetta, his company against the Daily News. But doing it from the Knicks account is a special kind of stupid. Like, there's no reason for that. There's just there's just none. So uh, everyone who's mad at me, I would like to direct you to go be mad at James Dolan for some reason having them tweet from the Knicks PR account. Like, this is the kind of stuff when we talk about the culture starts at the top. These are the kinds of things that they were avoiding for a little while. He was staying quiet. He was staying in the shadows. He kept his word. And then you do something like this, and it, it's silly. It's silly. It's needless. It's, it's just a, it's an unforced error. It's just a needless, needless mistake. So these are the little things that help you to continue not getting superstars and star players to come here. When we whiff one summer and they wait to see what the next stupid thing the Knicks do is, and then they don't have an introductory press conference for the new players. Nobody talks about that. Just nothing. I mean, other teams have done this too so far, but for the Knicks, it's different. They've done nothing so far. Just announce them, right? After they missed out on Kevin Durant, they felt the need to release a statement to the fans about why they missed out and they're confident in the, the youth and the kids and the future. So, so that was two, you know, two weird things. And then they dropped this today, which had nothing to do with the Knicks. It didn't. But they made it have to do with the Knicks from dropping it from the account. So it's, it's just very silly. There's no point in it. Uh, please go be mad at James Dolan, not at me. This is objective truth that I'm telling you. Just I'm tired of these weird, stupid things happening to our basketball team. Leave us alone like you leave the Rangers alone. I'm just very tired of this. The other thing that's kind of you know fucked up about this whole situation is we haven't heard a word from the team other than, you know, a couple of PR announcements that came a little bit later on, which, you know, signings don't get to happen as soon as they're announced. So I get that. But uh, the other thing is there was no press conferences for any of these players. There was, we haven't heard anything from the team other than, you know, an apology for not signing Kevin Durant. Like we have, we didn't get a signing for Ju- We didn't get a press conference for Julius Randall. We didn't get anything for any of the other guys. And like they were all signed on basically the same time. The whole first wave of announcements got announced. They were on the same PR announcement other than uh, other than Bullock because of everything that happened with his contract and how he, you know, he got signed to a lower value. Um, It's just, I don't know, this whole situation just frustrates me. It's just they've been talking a lot to the point where we kind of believe them about rebuilding the culture for this franchise. And moments like this just kind of prove that this is always going to be Dolan's team. It's always going to be his play thing. And, you know, no matter how much 
we think he's out of the way. Like he can always just grab the reins for his own personal interest at any given time. In our past, yeah, you know, the coach, the GM, other front office executives, like they've always done TV, whether it be on going on ESPN, uh, on MSG. I didn't watch the games on MSG this year. I was using the ESPN app. But, and there was none of that. Like, Rebecca Harlow didn't talk to anyone on the sidelines. We got, like, a couple little bits and pieces with the players. Like, we heard a little bit from Julius Randle in Vegas. And may, I remember him with the dipset shirt. And he, you got a couple, you got a couple of the cliche New York things that you would like that fans eat up. But there was no questions by reporters or anything like that. There was no, not even, like, you see coaches all the time go on the summer league broadcast like Fisdale wasn't on at all it was it was just it was very strange yeah and there's still time for them to do that too like one thing that I wonder for at least the free agency signings is were they waiting for the Reggie Bullock thing to be announced first and then they could just do one as a big group and get it out of the way because I do think that that's fair and I think at some point they're going to have to do the press conference it's just been a weird sequence of events since free agency officially kicked off with, you know, like Anthony said, the Durant apology statement that they dropped like an hour after the the free agency window actually opened uh, to kind of hearing nothing from the team about those signings to, you know, like they, they, there's still time for them to at least do the press conference and get that over with. Like, I'm not going to kill them for the, for that. It's just not having it while these two other things have happened. It's just, that brings us back to Dolan being Dolan. You know what I mean? Like it's little strange, unneeded things that he always brings to the table. And uh, the last thing to Anthony's point about, you know, us believing that the culture was changing. It's very possible that Scott Perry is doing that like for the actual team, because his moves reflect that to some degree that he is invested in the rebuild and he is going to see this thing through. But I do wonder because Donnie Walsh did something like this literally a decade ago. I know people maybe are quick to forget, but he took on a really bad situation with the cap and he cleared a lot of space pretty quickly to get them prepped to at least make a pitch to big free agents. And he had some young guys too with Danilo Gallinari and I think Mozgov was coming in, Wilson Chandler. Like none of those guys ended up being sensational. Gallo, I think, has had the best career out of all of them and he's been a very good player for a long time. But, you know, it's just even even Donnie Walsh got overruled and then canned when it came down to it after we started to buy into the rebuild. So my point is, like, I don't know that anybody's safe. I don't know that it really matters that Scott Perry is doing the rebuild and doing his job correctly, I feel, because at the end of the day, this was like another little reminder. And, you know, even if and the thing, too, is I'm not trying to sit here and say Dolan had no bearing to be upset about the story or anything. Just that's separate. Go keep that with MSG and let the Knicks be the Knicks. Like that, that's all the point is. Like, I'm not even trying to get into the who's right between Balmer and Dolan. It's just there's no reason for Knicks PR to be tweeting that out for you. That's it. Just leave our basketball team alone. Go handle your business, however you gotta handle it. Just leave our team alone. That's all. It's a very simple ask. But I mean, we'll see what happens. Hopefully they can write the ship and at least do the free agency press conferences in the next week or two so we could breathe easy. And uh, Dolan just fades to black again. Yeah, it's it's just all bizarre to me. Like it's it's just I and I believe in Scott Perry. I believe in what he's doing. It's it's just I don't know. 
I, I just this is always going to be a cloud hanging over our heads. It's just something we got it. We can't kid ourselves about anymore, but the, uh, the ship will sail on this train. will keep on rolling. It's about to get into the quiet months. And that's when Dolan, uh, tends to, uh, try to make a mess of things. So as long as we can get through them, we're kind of waiting through the first little storm here. We'll see what happens, but I think that's about going to do it for us on this episode of the Nick's Wall podcast. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever your podcast provider is. If you would give us a five-star review, uh, you know, something like that, a little uh, little subscription. Go on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. Uh, all would be greatly appreciated. Follow us on Twitter at the Nick's Wall at TKW Podcast. Uh, we're getting that back up and running real soon. Had some uh, some personal things happen recently, but I'll be on that real quickly. Um, follow uh, all of us at Corbo Anthony, at Kyle Maggio, at Brian Giberman. Follow at Blue Wire Pods. Uh, check out, uh, go to harrys.com slash Blue Wire. Check out that deal we've got for you. Um, yeah, and go to nextwall.com. Read everything that our fabulous writers are putting up. Uh, I know Harley Geffner just had a piece come out today that I loved about uh, the Knicks shaking out their backcourt uh, between Alfred Payton, Dennis Smith, Frank Nielakina, um, all those guys. So give that a read. Uh, check out everything else going on there. And we will talk to you all very soon. Thank <laughs> you.